impeachment is not about Ukraine. It's not about a phone call. It is a continuation of a long effort to remove President Trump from office. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. My name is Alan Roth, President of Secure America Now. Welcome to our Code Red podcast. Today, our guest is Byron York, political correspondent and editor of the Washington Examiner. Uh, I have followed Byron and his work for many years. He's a superb reporter, and he has written not only a superb book, but he has written what I think is an extraordinarily important book. It's called Obsession. The subtitle is Inside Washington Establishment's Never-Ending War on Trump. Now, before I get into uh, asking questions, first off, Byron, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And I want to start with two quotes that are in the book. The first is by Congressman Chris Stewart of Utah. Chris Stewart writes, they've been trying to impeach and remove him literally from the day before he was inaugurated. The other quote is by President Trump in an interview with Lou Holt of NBC News. And this is right after President Trump fires FBI Director Comey. President Trump says the investigations are an excuse for having lost an election that they should have won. Byron, your book does a superb job in documenting. This is not a polemic. This is based upon facts. You got people to actually who are involved to go on the record. What motivated these people to what I would describe as wipe out the results of the 2016 election? Well, uh, you're right about the book. The, the, if you look at the, kind of the frame of the book and start in December of 2019, which incredibly enough was less than a year ago, uh, House Democrats were racing to uh, impeach the president. They wanted to get it done by Christmas. And a reporter asked Nancy Pelosi, said, what's the hurry? I mean, what's the rush here? And Nancy Pelosi said, there's no rush. This has been going on for two and a half years since Mueller. And a lot of Republicans uh, took note of that, and they said, wow, finally she has just come out and admitted it. This impeachment is not about Ukraine. It's not about a phone call. It is a continuation of a long effort to remove President Trump from office. And, you know, to, to get to your question specifically, there's a, there's a, a story I tell in the, in the book that um, obviously Democrats were unhappy with the results of the election. They lost. They thought they were going to win, and they lost, so they were unhappy. But there's this moment, and it's on January 6, 2017, before Trump becomes president, when House Republicans get a glimpse of how upset Democrats are. It is that day 
that the Congress is supposed to meet to certify the results of the Electoral College. And it's a ceremony. I mean, it's a done deal at that point. It's a ceremony. And, you know, representative from the state of Arkansas gets up and pronounces the state's delegates in good order, and they all go for Donald Trump. And uh, so it's supposed to be just kind of a, a ceremony that's not a big thing. And a number of Democrats have planned efforts to disrupt and to try to stop the Electoral College certification of the president. So when one state's electoral votes are announced, they'll get up and object, saying these electoral votes cannot be counted because Russia tried to interfere in the election or Russia won the election for Donald Trump. And so I think a number of Republicans said, wow, <laughs> they're, they're not like reconciling themselves with this. This is, this is pretty bad. And, you know, it was from it was just off to the races from from there on. You know, um, and I don't think this was part of the plot, but you also mentioned in the book a political article of April 17th, 2016. This is in the middle of the election. And the title of the article is Can Trump Be Impeached Shortly <laughs> After He Took Office, which you want to talk about out of context um, and in terms of the election. Was that the opening salvo or is that just a, a standalone? Well, certainly there were people um, who discussed impeaching Trump before the election. Now, they all thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win. Uh, but, you know, just in case, uh, Trump should be impeached. And as a matter of fact, one, one thing that's striking, and I think I mentioned this as well, uh, the Washington Post published on its website an article called The Campaign to Impeach Donald Trump Has Begun. And the, the Post uh, posted that story to its website January 20th, 2017, at 12.19 p.m. Trump had been president for 19 minutes at that point. Uh, and this talked about, this article talked about the various groups that hoped to organize to uh, impeach and remove Trump from office. So, you know, it's, it's entirely fair to say that there were people uh, trying to remove him from office since before he ever won or entered office. I want to come back uh, to this in terms of what we should expect in the elections, which are coming up very quickly. But uh, before we get there, uh, your book makes some interesting observations, especially in terms of the president's mindset. Here we have a new president taking office, wanting to do uh, big things. He said it during his uh, campaign that he wanted to change course in some very significant ways. And he gets hit right out of the box, as you just uh, showed us, um, with the potential of investigation. He meets with the FBI director, who assures him that he is not the subject of an FBI investigation. And it starts a just a a history which you recount of lies and innuendos and 
uh, it seems like that they would not be deterred, his opponents, from uh, launching all sorts of investigations that should never have been launched. But can you talk about uh, President Trump's mindset? You mentioned how upset he was, how concerned he was to try to stop um, investigations. I don't mean that in a, in a sense, in a negative way, but trying to satisfy Comey and later on trying to satisfy Mueller to be as cooperative as possible rather than an obstructionist, which he's been accused of. Can yeah. you talk about his mindset and what he did to address um, this force coming against them? Well, uh, Trump was um, stunned by the appointment of Robert Mueller on May 17, 2017. He was stunned by it. Um, but after after that, he had to try to figure out how to deal with uh, a special counsel. Um, he knew that a special counsel, special counsels in the past had been crippling and very damaging for presidents. And he was acutely aware that the presence of the Russia scandal and uh, the Mueller investigation was hurting him. And he was particularly worried about his dealings with uh, foreign leaders because he'd gotten sort of um, uh, word that, you know, this foreign leader was talking to another foreign leader speculating, well, is Trump going to stay in office? What do you think? I mean, these investigations, are they going to remove him? And so Trump felt, I think, reasonably that this was a, a real, uh, really hurt his standing and his ability to deal with foreign leaders. And he was constantly telling Mueller that he had his lawyers probably on a weekly basis, send some, send a note to the Mueller prosecutors with a new example of how um, of how the investigation was harming the president's influence abroad. Um, now, he made an effort, because he wanted it over quickly, he made an extraordinary effort. He and his lawyers, within the first month, I mean, Mueller did not even have office furniture yet, when Trump makes him an offer, and this is the offer. The offer is, I, President Trump, want the investigation to be over quickly. And you, Special Counsel Mueller, are going to want all sorts of evidence from me, uh, documents from the White House, and interviews with people around me. Now, um, a lot of that would be protected by executive privilege. I could object. We could fight about it in court forever. But here's my proposal. I'll give you everything you want. All the documents, all the interviews, interview anybody you want as long as you want. Then in return, you will promise to get this investigation over quickly. And there's this meeting in June of 2017, and John Dowd, the president's lawyer, and Robert Mueller stand up and shake hands on this deal. It was never written down. It was never signed. They shake hands on the deal. Mueller says, I don't let grass grow under me, uh, meaning he moves quickly. And so uh, Trump proceeds to keep his end of the bargain. I mean, uh, it's, it's what you might call radical cooperation. Um, it's completely different from the picture we were getting in the, in the 
press at the time of Trump attacking the uh, the special counsel, when in fact, in his desire to get this over quickly, because it was hurting his, his role as president, he cooperated in ways that other presidents had not even imagined. So here we have a president you, who wants to bring this to a conclusion, and he makes the offer and he follows through on the offer to get to give as much information as the special counsel would need from him. And um, you mention on a couple of occasions in the book that Trump also has this strong belief that if he goes and he has a conversation with someone one-on-one, -on -one, that he can win that person over. Right. And that that played a role both with Comey and with Mueller. Can you yes. expand that's on that? Uh, that's a key part early in the book because the book is really begins with how, you know how did we get to a Mueller investigation, and the answer is through James Comey. And during the remember that Comey had played this very controversial role in the Hillary Clinton email investigation. He had uh, done this really weird news conference over the Fourth of July weekend in 2016 to announce that uh, she was not going to be charged with anything in the email affair, but she really was guilty of a lot of stuff. And it was just, it really kind of blew a lot of people, prosecutors away. Like, why would he say that? And then he, he reopened the investigation about 10 days before the election. So during the transition, Trump had a number of people close to him, like Rudy Giuliani, Chris Christie, Jeff Sessions, um, urge him to fire Comey immediately upon taking office, to, to inform Comey that his services would no longer be required after January the 20th. And um, they said, it's not like they were sympathetic to Hillary Clinton, says, oh, he was so mean to Hillary Clinton. They thought that he was erratic. Uh, they thought that he was headstrong. And they were worried that he would be as big a problem for, um, for uh, Trump, the president, as he would have been for Clinton, the president. And um, Rudy Giuliani said to him, said to Trump, uh, he's going to turn on you. There's something wrong with this guy. And Chris Christie said he's a loose cannon. If he's a loose cannon under Obama, he's going to continue being a loose cannon. And he's going to be your loose cannon. So he gets Trump gets all this advice to fire Comey. Uh, and he doesn't do it. And so the question is, why doesn't he do it? And um, the answer is, Trump brought with him to the White House kind of the habits of mind from decades in business. And he, and he always believed in business, that he could bring people around, that through his personality, he could, he could make them like him. He could, he could win them over. And uh, the fact is, Trump thought he could win Comey over. And I think we can all say now that uh, it did not work. Do you, how would you describe, I mean, Comey, you mentioned a couple of things um, just now with uh, his, uh, his weird handling of, uh, of Hillary Clinton and her emails. He also, he does some things that it's very hard to imagine 
that someone like that actually ended up as the head of the FBI. Um, at one point, which which made uh, which made news at the time, but it was interesting to me to to be reminded of it is these memos that he refuses to turn over to Congress, but he gives it to a friend who then gives it to the New York Times. And how does someone like that actually get to the top of the investigations world in Washington? Well, boy, that, that one I, I cannot answer. I, it's, it's, it's really astonishing to me. But you're right. Comey begins to write memos secretly to use against Trump before Trump even becomes president. Remember that, uh, remember after the Russian uh, attempts to interfere in the 2016 election, there was an intelligence community investigation, and they and they produced something called the ICA, the Intelligence Community Assessment. And um, that was, they, they briefed it. They, inf- they told President Obama about it, still the president, on January 5th. And on January 6th, they were going to brief President-elect Trump about it. Um, and, you know, unbeknownst to the public, uh, they had been having this, this uh, debate over whether to include material from the Steele dossier, which was just crazy. I mean, it was salacious, uh, unsupported, unverified information from Christopher Steele, the former British um, intelligence agent who was desperate to do anything to damage Trump before the election. Uh, Comey wanted to put that in the intelligence community assessment, and they compromised, and they put it in the appendix. So on January 6th, after having briefed President Obama the day before, they go brief President-elect Trump on the 6th. And so they have a briefing about it. And then Comey asked everybody else to leave the room. So it's just Trump and Comey. And Comey tells the president about this allegation that um, Trump was in a Moscow hotel room in 2013 with prostitutes who were performing a kinky sex act and, and, and Russian intelligence had videotaped the whole thing. So they've got all this blackmail dirt on Trump. And it was just a jaw dropping moment. First of all, it wasn't true. I mean, this was, this was almost a joke of an allegation. There was nothing to support it. Um, and Comey said that to, to, to Trump. He, he describes it to Trump and Trump thinks what in the world is going on? And even Comey, said he worried uh, that he would appear like J. Edgar Hoover, the first FBI director, legendary FBI director, who loved to have secrets on elected officials and lord them over um, elected officials. So, you know, the first time President-elect Trump ever meets the director of the FBI, the FBI, the director of the FBI tells him, we know about you and those prostitutes in Moscow. I mean, it's just an astonishing moment. So it's really, to me, it has always been a bit of a surprise why Trump, that Trump never fired Comey until he did. You mention in the book of a Mueller-Comey connection that goes back years before Trump. Can you just go over how these characters actually worked together previously? Well, the two were friends. They came up in the Justice Department, and um, 
in just after September 11th, Mueller took over the FBI as the FBI director, and uh, Comey became the deputy attorney general in the uh, Bush administration Justice Department. So, um, uh, so they were high-ranking uh, uh, people at the Justice Department, and both worked a lot together on post-September 11th policy, and became close. Yeah, I don't know if you would call them close personal friends or social friends. I think they were clearly very close uh, colleagues. And a, a Washingtonian article, Washingtonian being the local magazine here, um, described them as brothers in arms. Um, so there's the, the weird thing about that was, is that um, for Trump's critics, uh, firing Comey was exhibit A in their, in their belief that Trump had obstructed justice. Um, but Mueller was going to investigate this. So Mueller was going to investigate these charges that Trump, by firing his really good friend, had obstructed justice. It was, it was, it all seemed a little too inside, really. I am not by nature a conspiracy-minded person, but reading your book, uh, there are so many things that just don't make any sense from the perspective of government officials actually doing what they should be doing. It wasn't only Trump that was being um, attacked and put on the defensive over allegations that had no substance, but you also had one of the uh, people who continues to suffer from these investigations is General Flynn. And the Flynn is, he's not just, he becomes a target and, uh, and it, it looks by, from, from my perspective as, I mean, he was set up after being exonerated. I think Comey actually said, we have no evidence on him, but yet uh, the, uh, the FBI and, the other security services keep going after him, and yeah. um, and he suffers grievously. Can you talk about the Flynn case? No, it's an it's an absolutely incredible uh, case. Uh, Flynn had been a former director of um, of uh, military intelligence, defense intelligence agency, and. Um, when he left government, he left the Obama administration. He was not really in favor in the Obama administration. Left, and he had had a couple of contacts with Russia. He sets up this consulting business. Had a couple of contacts, and had actually been to a dinner in Moscow for the uh, anniversary of the media uh, company RT, and had sat next to Vladimir Putin. So, this is. Uh, something that uh, a lot of his enemies thought was very, very important. So anyway, he, um, he uh, joins the Trump campaign, is the top national security uh, aide or advisor in the Trump campaign. And uh, unknown to him, because mostly of this trip to Moscow, the FBI has opened an investigation of him in on July 31st of 2016, that was the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, which uh, some of the FBI are tried to say was limited to only four people. Just it wasn't about the campaign. It wasn't about Trump. It was just 
Paul Manafort, Michael Flynn, George Papadopoulos, and Carter Page. Uh, so Flynn is one of those. And basically, they investigate him for quite a while and find that he has no, there are no problems. He's, he's, not, uh, he's not an agent of Russia. He's not a foreign agent. He's not nothing other than patriotic American, by the way, a three-star general. Uh, having served in Iraq and other places. So um, there is this effort during the transition, though, to uh, step up the investigation of President Trump. I don't, in, in hopes of what? I don't know. Removing him from office quickly? I don't know. But uh, there, was, there was surveillance, and that was kind of a normal thing, of, of, of Flynn's phone call with the Russian ambassador. Um, and Flynn did absolutely nothing wrong on this phone call. He he talked to the Russian ambassador. They did discuss uh, the sanctions that the Obama administration had just placed on Russia over its interference in the election. And Flynn said something to the effect of, I know you got to respond. I know you got to retaliate. Uh, just try to make it proportional. Don't, uh, you know, don't escalate if you can. And... Um, and that was it. And uh, someone leaks inside the intelligence community that Flynn has had this conversation with uh, with Kislyak, the Russian ambassador. And I mean, this was an incredibly irresponsible leak. I mean, these are these are from national security intercepts. Because you have to assume we're wiretapping the Russian ambassador, um, and thus picked up the phone call with with Flynn. And um, so then there's, this, there's this, this column in the Washington Post that suggests that Flynn may have violated the Logan Act. Now, a lot of people had to go look up what the Logan Act was because it was a law passed in 1799 that uh, uh, forbade Americans, private Americans, from engaging in foreign policy on behalf of the United States. And the idea being that that uh, Michael Flynn, by telling the Russians to try to cool it till the Trump administration comes into power and then they can reassess, that was, uh, you know, taking authority away from the Obama administration, when in fact it was absolutely, absolutely the normal kind of thing that goes on in a transition. Uh, besides, the Logan Act was a dead letter. It had never, ever since 1799 been successfully prosecuted against anybody, ever. Um, and when a law is, is, is passed and then never, ever enforced, uh, you can't just start enforcing it without <laughs> charges that you're selectively enforcing the law because nobody ever did it before. Right. Um, so um, <clears throat> what happens is there's this big brouhaha. The FBI comes and interviews Flynn on January 24th, just four days into the Trump administration. And he tells them that he didn't talk about uh, uh, sanctions on the phone with Kislyak, when in fact he did. Um, and the FBI agents who were there do not actually think that he's lying to them. They think that, I don't know, he's, he's forgotten. There were a lot of phone calls. Um, he doesn't, doesn't remember, whatever. And the FBI is not actually going to do anything about this. James Comey, as a matter of fact, goes to Congress in March and says, well, the agents didn't think he was lying, and um, Comey did not anticipate any legal action being taken against Flynn. Uh, and then 
the explosion occurs, Trump fires Comey, Robert Mueller comes in, and darn if they don't take the Flynn matter down off the shelf and use and threaten Flynn with uh, a charge of lying if he does not cooperate with them or if he or as a way to force him to cooperate with them. And indeed, Flynn ends up pleading guilty in December to uh, of uh, lying to the FBI and becomes a cooperating witness. And this case has dragged on and on and on since, um, well, it's now September 2020, and it's still unresolved. It's really sad what he's being put through, and um, it is... It leads me to ask a, um, a question of which, if you don't have an answer to it, I can fully understand it. Is there such a thing as a deep state? Is there people uh, in the press, in, in the government, who actually collude to put together such a damaging fantasy uh, world of investigations attacking innocent Americans in the case of General Flynn, a hero, an American hero. Is well, there a effort here? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, and I, I'll, have to, uh, I'll have to run in a, in a minute. But to talk about that question, there's always been something that we refer to as the permanent bureaucracy. Um, and it, it politically it leans Democrat, and there's there are a group. I mean, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of career uh, employees of the U.S. government, some of whom are are very political, and they are entrenched in their jobs. I mean, they can't be fired basically, um, and they stay as, as the presidents come and go. So there is a permanent bureaucracy. There's no doubt about it, and there's certainly an intelligence community. And if you remember. Before Trump is even uh, sworn in from off for office, uh, Trump is criticizing the intelligence community for all these leaks suggesting that he colluded with Russia. And uh, Charles Schumer, uh, the Democratic senator from New York, minority leader, goes on television and says how dumb he thinks this is of Trump to challenge the intelligence community because if you go against the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday of getting back at you. And so, you know, if, if you're a skeptic about there being something called a deep state, it sounds like Charles Schumer kind of believes there's a deep state. Um, so, you know, look, I, I don't, people I think have different definitions of deep state, but clearly there, there are, are these people who are entrenched in their jobs, who are privy to the nation's secrets, and who have been uh, willing to use them against President Trump. I mean, we had we had two leaks of transcripts of presidential phone conversations, one with the president of Mexico, one with the prime minister of Australia. I mean, these are the most secret things in the world. And so and we've had leak of the phone call. We've had a lot of just incredibly damaging uh, leaks. And so there's there are people operating there who clearly are trying to hurt the president. Uh, Byron York, uh, again, I want to congratulate you on putting together uh, not only a great investigative report, but it reads beautifully. It's called Obsession. We're going to urge our folks to buy it and 
read it. And I think that, frankly, uh, it also gives us insight to what is probably coming down the road in terms of questioning the election results uh, in a couple of months. Um, and uh, again, uh, you've done a great job. I think you've done a great service um, in clarifying some very troubling current history that seems to be ongoing. But thanks for spending time with us. And uh, I look forward to continue to reading your columns in the Washington Examiner. All right. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.